0: Let's kick into it, Daily Energy Markets podcast. It is the 10th of November. It is Friday, alhamdulillah. Brent crude oil is trading just above $80 a barrel. I'm not sure where I want to start, deep in geopolitics land or leave rad for the dessert. Um, Let's go and kick off with the markets and and, uh, start with uh, Adi Imcirovich, Director, Surrey Clean Energy and Senior Associates at CSIS. Adi, um I'll start with you because we had the Saudi oil minister overnight uh, saying that this downward draft in oil prices is all because of the bad speculators and uh, they've got it wrong. Your thoughts on his comments and what he's really pointing out there. Morning, Sean.
1: Uh, yes, always the speculators when you run out of all the options. Um, the um, what, what's, what's really been happening in the last few days is that, um, well, a number of things. Let me take a step back. First of all, last couple of weeks that the margins have come under quite 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 a bit of pressure uh so we saw actually teapots uh cutting uh cutting their their, their runs so that obviously didn't help demand very much um so what also happened was we've seen record us output uh, uh and exports again you know everyone's complaining about um lack of investment uh in in the shale patch but actually every time we see the numbers we keep hitting new records the same is happening with non-oPEC countries as well Europe is going into a bit of recession dollar is very strong but overall um the macro situation that drives the flat price which I'm pretty sure uh uh uh, uh, Prince Abdulaziz knows very well uh uh is 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 not particularly good uh uh Powell came Jerome Powell came out I think yesterday indicating uh there might be some possible future interest rates, hikes still on, on the cards, dollars very strong. Uh, and uh with the situation in Gaza, the likelihood of Iran getting involved is diminishing, uh or has diminished almost completely. Uh and and the situation spreading. So the the so-called risk premium has been taken out of the market as well. Overall, uh, we've had a down week, um, as simple as that uh we if you actually look at the barrels on the ground if you do want to forget about speculators uh there's still unsold november nigerian cargoes uh it's it's quite poor um uh, and they're a very good indicator they're bellwether of of what's happening in the spot market because most of nigerian cargoes are sold on spot basis and they can go either east or west so demand has not been very good um, um so neither macro nor Fundamentals at the front end are looking particularly good.
0: Rad Al-Kadiri, uh, looking at this equation uh, from the point of view of the big, big geopolitical story, the 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 war, the the onslaught of Gaza, I'm learning out as a to describe the horrors we're seeing on our TVs every day. But uh, as Managing Director of Energy Climate Resources, the Eurasia Group, where do we see these two worlds intersect? uh, uh the, the 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 energy markets and their sort of irrelevance at such when you look at such tragedies but nonetheless where do these two things these big events these geopolitical events interact we heard a sort of off the cuff comment yesterday by joe biden that uh, the israeli prime minister had taken too long or it was taking too long for him to answer his phone calls or answer his requests your thoughts are where all of this intersects right. Great to be here again. I mean, I, I'd echo first,
2: you know, Addy's point about the geopolitical risk premium. You know, it's a it's a very cynical view, but markets can be very calculating. And fundamentally, there is no oil. There are no oil exports, and there is no oil in production in Israel or Gaza. Um, and so, you know, I think the markets were watching closely how close, how how much this might drift towards Iran. Um, at this moment in time for, you know, I think a variety of reasons, not least that nobody really wants to get involved in a, in a a fight, a a wider fight. You've got, you've got that, uh, those flows seemingly protected. And as long as those flows seemingly are protected, then I think the impact on oil prices is going to be minimal where they intersect actually is what comes next. You know, I think there's a lot of sanguine thinking and, and, you know, You mentioned the sort of how many adjectives can you come up with with the nature of the fighting? But I think there's some sanguine thinking about Israeli defense posturing in the medium to long term and actually what the Israeli um, agenda really is. And if you look at that and look at some of the worst case scenarios that could happen there, particularly if there was a, a large refugee problem, if there's a large... You know, any efforts to transfer Palestinian the Palestinian population or parts of it, I think that radicalizes the region and that heightens the pressure. I think the other thing really that stands there is if if either armed groups linked to Iran continue to take potshots and actually lead to um, U.S. casualties and or any concrete evidence that Iran was involved in the Seventh um, of October attacks, even though there appears to be none. I mean, it's it, one can fabricate evidence and intelligence as the U.S. has demonstrated so well in 2002, 2003. I think that's when you know the risk of attacks on Iran start to rise again, and you know Iranian oil production will be a tempting target to hit Iran and and, and damage it um, economically. The thing then is, it doesn't stop with Iran, um, and it's a question of. You know how much above the 1.4 million. I mean, it is interesting
0: that in this equation, obviously there is the 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 relationship of of the proxies of Iran and so forth. Uh, but uh, nobody mentions any of the other Arab countries. There, this is an Arab country that these Arab people are getting slaughtered. I don't hear much talk of uh, the call on others. That why Iran? I mean, this is not an Iranian problem. It's not a Persian problem. It's uh, it's interesting that it is the one that gets brought in, and this is clearly. Uh, Palestinian Arab uh, tragedy in, in ways, but that gets a big rabbit hole to go down. Let's go to Andy Critchlow uh, uh, and get your views, Andy, on on the uh, head of news, of course, MSMP Global Commodity Insights. Andy, the downward draft in the oil price has been underway now for some months. We did in June, you know, nearly tempt $70 on Brent. Uh, WTI did drop below $70. So, it's taken a lot to put a pole up in this tent uh, uh, and and keep it from uh, sort of sagging in. And, and, and that was the big bazooka, one million barrel a day, extra cut by Saudi Arabia and off to the races in Q3. But the tent is starting to sag again. The, 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 is there going to be another pole in this tent? Uh, or what is the downward draft ultimately, do you think, on this price?
3: It's very difficult to predict. I mean, there's elements of... Uh... Uh, Of everything that has been said so far um, by both Rad and uh, um, uh, Eddie that uh, factor into this, um, you know, I think that with um, spot prices at the moment, you know, what was mentioned around speculators, you know, futures when they fall so hard, so fast as they have done um, um, over the last month, um, you know, if you're buying spot cargoes in the physical market, you tend to uh, sit on your hands a little bit longer. And and you know hopefully you get a better price so it you know it incentivizes people to to take a pause uh, and that obviously um, you know has a downward drag impact on 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 prices um, across the you know the, the spectrum really um, you know demand if you look at that is, is pretty robust um, you know going into 2024 our estimate is for demand of about 104 plus million barrels a day. Uh, oil and liquids. um, uh, Okay, demand growth is going to slow. You know, we're seeing demand growth slowing in 2024 to about um, uh, 1.6 million barrels a day, but that's coming off, you know, a very strong pull on crude liquid products that you've seen post-COVID, which we're kind of coming to the end of. you know, OPEC does have very little room to move now, you know, they kind of backed themselves into a corner with um, successive voluntary cuts. Uh, outside OPEC, you've got actually strong demand growth, uh, strong supply growth coming from the US, from Africa. Um, will we see more of that? A, a it feels
0: lot. like that sort of echo chain. I mean, I've seen this show before, Addy. In a way, the 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 cutting, uh, cutting while others are increasing and increasing, and most notably a decade ago, shale. How much can you cut to keep the shale thing at bay? Uh, is are we on that track, Addy? Your thoughts? I mean, this Guyana, Venezuela. Apparently, I was reading a big story in Bloomberg overnight that. Uh, you know all of the oil guys are back in the cafes of, of of Caracas uh uh the 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 supply that's coming from outside this OPEC plus agreement uh looks you know America's starting like uh, uh you know there's there's no shortage of supply and ultimately these cuts by OPEC and Saudi start to feel not as supply constrained but as yeah no problem lots of idle supply your thoughts well, just look at the excess capacity. Uh, it, it's massive. So it tells
1: us something. Some some probably, Sean, some very, I don't want to be boring, but some basic economic theory
0: here. Very what clean ha- energy is boring but reliable. It has that uh, sort Absolutely. Of, that boring sort of, is good. It, it's, it's good. It's, it's good. Like it's British it's politics, like British politics, Labour Party. <laughs> well, yes.
1: Um, this, uh... So Labour Party is good. So you basically have supply curve is not linear. So it's non linear. Basically, it's very elastic in terms of price at the beginning, and as we're actually trying to push the production to the limit, it becomes very inelastic. So what happens when demand falls, uh, demand crosses the, that supply curve at a fairly elastic uh, part of the curve. So what happens, and that's what's happening right now. So if you can imagine sort of fairly elastic curve on, on supply, demand crossing it, when the Saudis cut, and it is, let's face it, pretty much Saudis, when they cut there's very. I mean, little... I don't even
0: know how you count three hundred thousand of Russian barrels exports. Is it products is it? Products? Products? I mean, what it's just uh a it smoke and Mirrors as it always has been. As yes. it
1: always has been. Exactly. So what happens when the salaries cut? What happens exactly? What's happening right now? You get a very small change in price. They make a very small impact on price. If anything happens, they actually because they've cut a million barrels voluntarily, they've got a massive drop in revenue. And this is the problem. right now there I, I agree with uh, with, with Andrew wh- you know what he said early on, OPEC is in in a very tight corner right now because if they cut further, all that will happen is that the Saudis or whoever cuts will have a, a big drop in revenue and not much impact on the price. Um, you know, budget deficit you know, this year and all all the dajo is is like, you know, there's the best cure for hype for high prices is, is high prices. That's exactly what happened. Everyone else has pumped uh, extra oil while the Saudis are trying to sort of save the world. But I would really like to see their most recent revenue numbers. Uh, there must be quite dismal. And we are getting in a situation where now we're going into Q1, Q2, usually Q2 demand falls seasonally. Uh, Chinese have pretty much bought what they want to buy for the Chinese New Year celebrations and everything else. Although There's apparently proper... they put in requests for more export or import quotas. Well, that's right. But uh, what what is also what what what's happening with China, you have to understand, they've, they've become the swing refinery of the world. Uh, they are basically pretty much setting the refining uh, margins for globally with their quotas, import, export. So if they import more, they'll probably just export more anyway. So. Uh, The situation is such that, you know, the uh, overall, uh, uh, if if you're a supplier or producer, you're not in a particularly great place right now, because uh, you're not going to impact prices, however powerful you are. So I think Saudis have a, a big issue. I'd love to see their revenue numbers lately, they must be very, very poor.
0: Well, certainly, uh, the, the Aramco earnings report was quite bionic, and they just delivered a huge amount of money to and, the, the, the fiscal purse. And
1: just one quick point. Sorry, I forgot uh, to mention uh, earlier on the market. We had yesterday, WTI front spread went negative. We are in contango. Uh, uh, uh,
0: uh, which, 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 which cuckoo is... in the coal mine. Cuckoo in the coal mine. Absolutely. Um, Brad... But... I, I was going to uh, uh we've just published our uh, report today um for uh, the gathering of the insights captured in in Fujair a month ago and 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 the headline we put on the report was will peace be the next Black Swan uh and how as you mentioned earlier that uh, the 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 geopolitical premium is out of this price because there is no supply threat ultimately on the oil side uh uh from the Israeli invasion of Gaza but ultimately uh, we had some i mean let's just grab hold of the little bit of positive news four hour ceasefire or something like that or you know pause or however horrible words are being chosen to to stay on the right side of everybody agreeing on what to call this thing but ultimately something positive has emerged in the last 24 hours uh, so, I'm. What my question to you, uh, Rad, is: um, while there's no geopolitical premium, what would a ceasefire do to the oil markets? W- even though it's not giving us an upside, would a peace or would a, a an actual ceasefire uh, be a downward, be bearish? I mean, what would be? How would you think it would be absorbed by the markets? I mean, it depends on the market mood, quite honestly. I mean, the market mood has been,
2: you know, somewhat up and down and, and, and extensive this year. Um, And if the market's in a bearish mood, it's going to take every piece of news it sees as being bearish. But the reality, I think, Sean, sort of in terms of that is, one, in in practical terms, in terms of physical supplies, it's going to do nothing. Gaza, Israel is, uh, you know, hits markets in second and third order consequences. It isn't something that's there directly. Um, You know, I'd look at it actually slightly the other way. I mean, one, I don't think a ceasefire happens anytime soon. I think Israel is buying time and Israel has an agenda. Um, It may not have followed through with the shock and awe that it was threatening, you know, in the immediate aftermath of the attacks. that you know, if you look at the destruction that's being caused, if you look at the systematic nature of it, um, it may lead to the same outcome. But that's going to take some time to achieve. So I don't think, you know, we're looking at a conflict that looks like, you know, previous battles with Gaza. We may, you know, the analogy to this may be the invasion, the Israeli invasion of Lebanon in 1982 and have some of that unfolded. But I also think, you know, this question of what is the Israeli mindset is the one no one is able to answer right now. But it is critical and it's critical for the markets, because if you're going to get escalation over time, that's most likely to be the driver. If Israel feels that it needs to be more aggressive, it needs to be more proactive, and it needs to deal with enemies far and wide, and let's face it, Iran comes up as one of the number one enemies in that case, then the risks are much greater. I think this is a market right now for all of the reasons that, that Maddie and Andrew mentioned that is you know, moving into a period of weak fundamentals. So the market's going to want to say physical supplies.
0: When you say Israel, obviously, you know, in, in, in Israel um, is many, at least it was, many pieces, I mean, a very fractured political system, uh, uh, bizarre coalitions. And and in this terrible moment, the the, the this coalition that's in power right now, uh, by all uh, assessment across the world, including from America and, the, and everywhere, is a very extreme right group. Uh, 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 and their agenda before this event happened would have been clearance, right? They clear out the West Bank, clear out Gaza, and you would imagine that hasn't changed. And now they certainly seem to have, you know, at least from their perspective, some sort of uh, you know legitimate uh, sort of momentum to to take that action. At least that's what it looks like to me. Other than the only thing that's missing is the Egyptians haven't opened the gates. Uh, the where does that go when you assess this from the point of view of this particular government versus all of Israel and this particular government and their obvious alignment alliance in Washington? Is there a gap in the between them or are they all on one page now? I don't
2: think they're all on one page at all. And that's the point. I think you did have this extreme right agenda and it's being articulated. Now, whether it's carried out is another thing, but it's being articulated. But this is the point about how how Israel responds. There seems to be a a sense that somehow, you know, things will calm down. Israel will see things rationally again. You know, this attack basically had no impact on an Israeli psyche. And it's back to business as usual. How quickly can we get back to the Abraham Accords and how quickly can we revive Israeli Saudi discussions? You know, look at the US after 9-11. Look at the UK in the 1980s when the troubles in Ireland were brought to the mainland. It changes politics fundamentally. Governments make decisions that don't aren't necessarily rational. They are based on a different set of calculations. So why we are sitting, I mean, and Washington seems to be sort of pushing this notion that when it has the Israelis under control. And two, you know fundamentally everyone's going to go back and be nice to each other. It's just a matter of letting the dust settle and you know killing a few a few Palestinians. I, I, I think the risk of, of escalation, the worst case scenario here, is much more real. and that will have an impact on markets. That plays out in the region over years and in multiple ways.
0: Andy. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, OPEC has to gather in Vienna in two weeks' time uh, to make decisions about uh, the new year. How do they look at all of this? I mean, the the the, the this whole th- of the commentary yesterday by the Saudi oil minister, uh, the the demand supply outlook for the new year. Where do you think they put their laser focus? I think the OPEC OK
3: meeting uh, uh, later this month. I think it's 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 you know, a, a huge black swan event that probably none of them want to actually deal with. And the reason is because of the, the the conflict that's happening in Gaza. I mean, you know that the moment the Iranian oil minister and the delegation step off the plane in Vienna, um, um, you know, and, and, you know, the wire reporters, you know, put a microphone there uh, at the airport. You know, the first question they're going to ask is, you know, are you going to call for an oil embargo? Um, which you know, as a a a paid member of OPEC, he's you know legitimately able to do in a full meeting to table a motion to for you know however you phrase it, however unlikely for an oil embargo. It's political grandstanding. It's the worst thing that uh, the Saudi oil minister would want to have happen because the meeting has all the 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 um, scenarios in place to turn into just a political grandstanding opportunity for for, for Iran in the current context of what's happening in the region now, of course. So
0: maybe the outcome is they actually go virtual, they they don't go to Vienna. Well, why would you do that? You
3: know, you have, you know, one of the world's most... For the reason
0: you just said, I mean, this is very complicated and emotional. And if it's still hot red, like it is at the moment, in four weeks or two or three weeks time, my goodness, it just... Well, you it's have, just... all, the TV, you have all, the,
3: all the world's TV cameras there. You have CNBC, you have CNN, everyone's waiting outside the secretariat. It's set up for histrionics, for yeah. someone to make a big political statement. If it's not the Iranians, someone will ask the Algerians, someone will ask the Libyans. So, you know, enough people around that OPEC table uh, 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 feel... Strongly about uh, about this situation to to use it as a platform, and I think there will be a lot of that that happens, and I think that that is a real concern for Saudi because they've managed to keep politics out of OPEC, or at least outwardly facing out of OPEC um, for the last number of years. You know, I mean, again, it was mentioned earlier about the economic situation in the Gulf as well. You know, Saudi, okay, Aramco's had bumper profits that pumps a lot of money back into the uh, the coffers in Saudi Arabia, but you know, the economic situation is not is is not bright, and and you know. To Rad's point, you, you, you know, people make rational decisions, you know, in periods of normality. You know, the propensity to make irrational decisions increases as you come under economic strain, you come under political strain. The geopolitics, of course, of the the, the war in Gaza is, is is terrible at the moment. And you have to factor in this, 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 this unforeseen um, uh, risk of irrational decision making that will come out of the Gulf the longer that this conflict drags on. And that will feed into oil. Um, uh, and what are the irrational decisions that could be made here? Um, um, I don't think the rhetoric around oil embargo, be it an Islamic oil embargo, whatever that might may look like, which is what the Iranians are trying to push now, I don't think that's gone away. Um, I really don't. I don't think that the geopolitical risk around disruption, be it through um, uh, drone attacks on oil infrastructure, has gone away either. You know, 2022, um, beginning of 2022, we had, um, um drones from Yemen hit oil facilities in Abu Dhabi. Recent conversations I had in Abu Dhabi indicated to me that those actual attacks were far more serious than was publicized at the time. So we're in, we're entering into a period of the unknown. And that's pretty well, dangerous. But
0: certainly I suppose of all things, let's go to the survey question. But Adi, I I, I suppose that the 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 amazing thing on some level uh, is that um Given everything that's going on, what is the main cause of downward draft in oil price? Uh, weak demand outlook, plenty of idle supply, market speculators. Uh, choose your pick. All of the above was not on the menu today. Uh, the Addy, the the, the 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 sort of the outlook of, of the direction of travel here. Uh, China still a bit of a laggard, but nonetheless, you know, on a level. Uh, uh, the 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 U.S. economy third quarter still printing four point nine percent. There's no obvious uh, uh, problems there, other than you know the the the, the sort of impact of five percent interest rates is sort of starting to trickle down. But where do you see this going? What breaks here?
1: Right. Well, as usual, um, the, the the flat price or absolute price level is driven by by fundamentals, macro fundamentals, as expected by financial players out there. So let's see where, where, where sort of we, we see this whole situation, say, next three to six months. China, as you mentioned, is still problematic. Every time we get some good news, the next thing we get some bad news. Uh, it's really struggling. And I actually think that it's going to continue to struggle for quite some time because a subprime situation takes a while to get sorted out. Uh, and if it doesn't get sorted out in the next year or so, I think China has a serious uh, a danger of falling into sort of Japanese trap, where sort of these, you know, property prices led, led on to 10 years of, of, of lost uh, economic growth. So they need to sort that out, and it's not going to happen overnight. Europe is, is heading for a recession, and Europe is a big part of the world, even though not necessarily the biggest incremental uh, uh, consumer the United States, uh, yes, United States is doing actually very well, thank you very much, with all things considered. But uh, you've noticed that gasoline demand in the United States is falling as well. So, you know, OECD is come, we, we come into that sort of uh, peak oil demand situation in developed world where, where now, you know, people are video conferencing uh, and traveling uh, less. Um, So overall, the macro situation, especially I mentioned Powell's uh, comments early on, Uh, We don't see that sort of drop in interest rates that we saw maybe a couple of months ago. There was like I was talking about light at the end of the tunnel. Right now, we still don't see that could be higher for longer. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also have unsettled situation with uh, high debt everywhere in the Western world, Uh, very volatile uh, bond prices, both in the United States and, and the UK, for example. So I I just don't see the macro situation as 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 being very a uh, fertile ground for next bullish move in the oil market.
0: But especially uh, as you go into the first quarter, which is typically uh, at least in in the Western world or uh, the Northern world, uh, a weaker demand window.
1: Correct. Yeah. And and and, and over overall, uh, you know, okay, U.S. refiners have just recently come out of turnarounds, rounds, but we really haven't seen much. Uh, uh, As a result of that, yes, there's been draws in Cushing, but overall uh, um, uh, reserves in the U.S. have actually increased in the last month or so. So there's nothing really to sort of write home about in terms of, uh, you know, trying to be bullish. I think this market is very likely to go sideways. As I mentioned earlier, I think Saudis probably should know, um, and I think they do know, that any further cuts are very unlikely to actually impact prices very much. So the situation is very much wait, wait and see. Um, as 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 uh, Andy and Rod mentioned, I think the geopolitics will play a bit of a bit of a role in the in the market and volatility. Well, let's
0: let's go to that point, at Rod. Sort of closing comments on 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 something we we, we didn't touch on and haven't regularly uh, as we had obviously before. But where is Ukraine in all of this? Where does the Russia's invasion of Ukraine and and uh, uh, and now, as we go into winter, and the intersection of the this crisis in in Palestine, uh, where do those two things interact in the geopolitics of the big world at the top table of the twenty guys who are deciding on which direction this planet moves?
2: Um, I think
0: Ukraine maybe summarizes upper
2: creek without a pebble, or at least increasingly getting towards there, um, and and that running out of no. road, so to speak. Yeah, and that's not just a product of, I think, that's not just a product of of attention being diverted to, to, you know, Israel and Gaza. You know, in geostrategic terms, if we're looking at this over the next 10 years, you know, sadly but true, you know, Israel-Gaza is an echo of the past. You know, what happens in Ukraine is seen certainly by the United States and others as shaping the future. So I think attention is going to go back. The problem is, you know, you have an issue of aid, fatigue that's going in. It's a clear political division in the United States. You know, the EU, if the U.S. starts to pull away, is going to be in a position where it's left carrying the baby and it's not going to want to do that. So I think, you know, you can see sort of circumstances in which, you know, the absence of real breakthrough by the Ukrainians, you know, if the Russians were to sort of be able to mount a, a meaningful offensive, that some of the dynamics of that change again in geostrategic terms, it really matters, and I think you know they'll want they'll there will be sort of attention will go back to it. In
0: a lot of ways, though, it feels like this event in Gaza has stripped away Europeans' justice call. This the the idea of. Power, power, politics dominate. You know, and the the idea of war crimes and human rights and all of these things, where uh, the the call to the world to acknowledge that uh, has just crumbled. Like
2: you and I both have been in this game for a long, long time. Um, Political rhetoric is one thing; political reality is another, and political reality is incredibly cynical. Um, I have watched politicians go through mental gymnastics to speak out of both sides of their mouth, and this is no different. Um, actually, it's one point just to leave you with that's really going to matter, I think, in three weeks in, in the UAE. Because you're walking into a COP28 where what's happened in Ukraine already stirred up, you know, global north, global south tensions. And, you know, the, the sense of, you know, some lives matter more than others has just been reinforced. And that starts to drive a deeper wedge between the global north and global south. It creates geostrategic issues. But if you're trying to reach climate, sort of any sort
0: of climate um, um, goals or any sort of climate progress, it makes it much more difficult. Andy, last word to you here. is there a second poll that OPEC can put in this tent Is that the Saudi energy minister? I mean, he's been notable in his tenure for uh, uh, infamously uh, making the shorts ouch. Um, the, does he have an ouch up his sleeve here? What If he does, what would it look like? It's
3: hard to see it. Um, uh, and it's hard to see it because if you look at the core Gulf states, you know they're going to have something like you know, well, 4 million barrels plus of spare capacity going into to, to next year. that's just sat there doing uh, uh, nothing. And, you know, when you've got prices floating around the low 80s, um, our forecast is for average uh, uh, rent of around $85 a barrel next year. That still doesn't cut it in terms of the macroeconomics of the Gulf and what these, uh, uh, you know, the petrodollar states of the region need to um, finance their budgets, ultimately, you know, that's much closer, if not above $100 a barrel. Um, I, I, Again, I think that they're getting very close to being, uh, you know, at the end of the road. Um, in terms of
0: what they There's a the rollover I mean does the Saudi didn't choose on this occasion with their unilateral cut to give it a, a horizon of time they just did it one month at a time if they were to come out with a 3 month or all of 2024 or something more robust like that could that be a second more powerful poll in this tent to keep it above 80 is it just
3: a signal for everyone else to to cheat on their quotas and to um, 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 and for more production to lose more market share um, to um, emerging producers um, outside sort of OPEC's immediate sphere of influence? I mean, we talked about Venezuela. Venezuela is, is is within OPEC, but we talked about the resurgence in interest in Venezuela. You have Africa, Guyana. You have a lot of production coming on stream elsewhere, and and that's not going to be slowed. For, you know that that oil needs to come out of the ground and. Um, I think they're in a very tight spot. They, they've kept cutting, they've kept uh, on with voluntary cuts. I think, you know, the issue about Ukraine is interesting. What happens with the war in Ukraine, I tend to agree with Rad, that we're getting towards a, you know, this kind of period, we haven't had a breakthrough. I've talked previously about, you know, in my my perception, looking at it, that, you know, in a way, the war is over there because I just can't see um, the West continuing to fund Ukraine to the extent that they have. Will there be some movement towards you know peace talks there, does that change Russia's perspective on on, on 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 its relationship with OPEC Plus? And I think going into 2024, 2025, I think that's the interesting thing to watch here is, is well, it does
0: look know. like Russia is and, and many other I think that's where the challenge for Saudi and Riyadh will be. Uh, to co- to be continue to deliver the big gift to everybody else, why they carry the heavy bucket? Even you know Russia benefiting greatly with a you know three hundred thousand barrels a day, whatever that is. It's a it's a rounding up error. Uh, the, the, everybody's benefiting from the the burden that, and the bucket that Saudis carrying. Will they make that bucket even heavier for themselves next year? It seems like a, a tough question. Uh, but they definitely want to need 80 plus dollar oil. So let's see where that goes. Uh, maybe as the minister said yesterday, this is a, a false alarm This is a blip and that the real demand fundamentals will take this market higher. Listen, have a great weekend. Thank you so much, as always. Rad Al-Kadiri, really appreciate your insights. Adi Basirovich, all the way from Surrey. And Andy Critchlow, thank you so much. Really, uh, thank you for that. And and, uh, uh, hopefully, Miss Braverman won't get uh, her wishes on the weekend, and we'll see another good, strong expression of civic rights and uh, public uh, uh, thoughts on the streets of London this weekend. All the best. Thank you so much.